Good morning, Abundant Life Christian Fellowship. You're probably aware by now that my oldest son, Elijah, he was tested for COVID and that test came back positive. And so we are at home quarantining and we will be for some time, um, especially myself as I'm gonna be caring for Elijah. So we, we miss you, we wish we could be there with you this morning, but we are thankful that Elijah's symptoms have been, uh, for the most part, minimal. Um, for the, the two days that we were noticing something that wasn't, you know, something wasn't right for Elijah, he just had, uh, you know, some pretty, pre some pretty severe fatigue. He was on the couch and, but since, you know, those two days, his symptoms really have been uh, non-existent. And so we're thankful for that. As far as we know, the rest of us are healthy, and we ask that you would continue to pray that that would remain to be true and that this bug would get, uh, would leave Elijah's system. I'm thankful that although we can't be there, that we have this technology and we can connect in this way. And I just want to give a shout out to, to Haley Jerkovich, our church operations leader. She, does, she has done a fantastic job of just making things go on Sunday morning and really making our church run through this entire pandemic. Um, she's, she's the one who you know, talks with the health department, consults other people, gives a recommendation to the board of directors of what we need to do uh, with our COVID response. And she's led the way there and she has done a fantastic job. Not only does she do that, but I record these videos and then I don't have to mess with them anymore. I uh, send them to Haley and she makes it happen. And she makes it happen so that you guys are able to hear what God has laid on my heart. And so I'm just really grateful for that. If you get a chance, an opportunity, let her know that you really appreciate the work she's doing uh, for God at, at our church. Um, I'm glad that we can jump back into our sermon series made for this. We, in this series, we're asking some of the most important, critical questions that any human being can ask. You know, what are we here for? Why do we exist? What's the purpose of life? This year at our church, the theme is let there be light, a year of clarity, a year of hope, a year of growth. And um, through this sermon series, we want to create clarity for you regarding uh, these big questions of life. And so uh, we've done two sermons in this, this series. The first sermon was focusing on the fact that we were made for intimacy with God. Second sermon was focused that on the fact that we were made for rest and celebration. Today, our focus will be on these two big ideas. We were made for family and we were made for the church. So let's tackle each one of these big ideas. Let's start with we were made for family. We need to see, in order to see God's original design for the family, it makes sense to go back to Genesis, you know, the beginning, right? Um, so let's do that. I'm going to read several passages uh, from Genesis. They're not going to go in uh, sequential order, but more in a chronological kind of order. Because Genesis 2 is really a flashback of what God was doing in Genesis 1. And so let's look at these verses. And um, as we do, you know, 
I just think of you guys listening to this, you may have asked questions about family. Like, what's the purpose of family? Uh, am I doing the right thing as a parent? You know, is is marriage worth it? Because um, let's be real, marriage and, and parenting are, I, I think, the two most difficult things that any person will ever do. And so is it worth it? I think a lot of young people are really considering that question, is marriage worth it? Is it even necessary? So let's look at what Genesis has to say, and hopefully we'll have some answers for you. So Genesis 1.26 says this, Then God said, Let us make man in our image according to our likeness. And then in Genesis 2.7, And the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground, and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living being. Then Genesis 2.18-25 says, And the Lord God said, It is not good that man should be alone. I will make him a helper comparable to him. Out of the ground, the Lord God formed every beast of the field and every bird of the air and brought them to Adam to see what he would call them. And whatever Adam called each living creature, that was its name. So Adam gave names to all cattle, to the birds of the air, and to every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not found a helper comparable to him. And the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall on Adam, and he slept. And he took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh in its place. Then the rib, which the Lord God had taken from man, he made into a woman, and he brought her to the man. And Adam said, This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, because she was taken out of man. Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And they were both naked, man and his wife, and were not ashamed. Genesis 1, 27 and 28 says this. So God created man in his own image, in the image of God. He created him, male and female, he created them. Then God blessed them and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and subdue it. Have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. These verses contain six critical aspects of God's design for the family that can be expressed in these six words. Leave, cleave, become one, serve, multiply, rule. Let's look at each one of those words, starting with leave. In order for a guy and a girl to form a new marriage union, they first have to disconnect from their union with their parents. In other words, the girl and the guy need to disconnect from depending on their parents as their primary source of physical, emotional, spiritual, and financial support. That's the leaving. Second, the cleaving. The Hebrew word translated cleaving in Genesis 2.24 also means to stick to, to cling to, to stay with, uh, to pursue closely. When I think of cleaving, I think of a young child that is frightened about something and how that young child will cling, adhere to their mother, right? With a death grip oftentimes. And even the dad uh, is unsuccessful oftentimes in, in getting that child away uh, from their mother. They are cleaving to their mother. 
You know, with this same sort of intensity that, that a young child clings to their mother when they're afraid, you know, God is calling husband and wife to adhere to one another. Um, and they are, he's, you know, it, it's, a, it's a way of saying like, um, you know, with the cleaving aspect of marriage that God, God is telling married couples to oppose any force that's seeking to drive a wedge be, between them. This is the mindset that people are to have when they enter marriage. This is the mindset that people are to have as they continue throughout their marriage. This, of course, also means that a husband and a wife's primary allegiance, their primary devotion and their ultimate affection in regards to human relationships is for one another. And it even takes precedence over the parent-child relationship. That's what it means to cleave. How about thirdly, couples are to leave and cleave and become one, one flesh. What does one flesh mean? Well, it means that uh, the, the two people in the marriage relationship are no longer acting as autonomous individuals, but rather they're, they're acting, acting as a unified couple. Um, the, in the vocabulary of a married couple, mine is replaced with ours, right? And, and it means to become one flesh that emotionally, spiritually, financially, and physically, and in every other way, we're becoming one, right? And we now have one set of goals. We have one set of priorities, one set of values, one set of dreams that we're pursuing together. That's what it means to become one flesh, Fourthly, there is serve. So the only way that a married couple can really experience the oneness that they were designed to experience and practically be one flesh um, is, that, is if they mutually serve one another. I find it fascinating that Adam, when Adam was created, um, he had a perfect relationship with God. It was untainted by sin. He had a perfect relationship to the creatures that God created. He was even naming them. And yet God still said that one thing wasn't good. And that was Adam, as God said in Genesis 2.20, did not have a helper comparable to him. And so this tells us, this implies that it, that for Adam to become everything God designed Adam to be, guess what? He needed another human being. He needed a woman to help him become everything he needed to be. This should strip all men of any chauvinistic pride, right? That in order for us to actually function and become, reach our full potential, we need the help of a woman. That's what this is saying here. If we are tempted to, to believe that this arrangement was lopsided or this, this, this serving was a one-sided affair, we're mistaken because the Apostle Paul in the New Testament makes it clear that in, in places like Ephesians 5.25 that God's intent from the beginning was that husband would love wife with the same intensity by which he 
by which Jesus loved the church and gave himself up for the church and was crucified and, and was killed for the church. That's the same intensity by which husband was always intended to serve the wife. And so what we see here is God's design for marriage is mutual uh, service that leads to mutual satisfaction. So that's leave, cleave, become one, serve, and then fifthly, multiply. God's design for marriage was not only that husband and wife would reproduce themselves physically, but they would reproduce themselves spiritually. That they would have children and that they would train them up in the ways of the Lord. That they would train these children to love God with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength and to love others as they love themselves. That was God's design in the multiplication. And the result would be that then the earth would be filled with people all over the place that um, loved God and were living for him and serving him. What's more is they would then be fit to do the, the sixth thing that I mentioned, to rule. So, Uh, I don't know if you think about this often, but God created humans to rule. God created humans to be kings and queens, kings and queens that ruled on, that ruled the earth on behalf of the king of kings. And we've talked about in past sermons in the series that scholars call this the cultural mandate, that that's embedded in the creation account, that, that human beings were to rule the earth by creating culture, by creating societies, by creating families, by creating cities, by creating entertainment and art and education and all those things. And so... God's design for the family is that parents would have children that would grow into adults that would not only fill the earth, but as they went out, they would rule the earth on God's behalf. This is God's design for the family. Male and female would leave their parents, cleave to one another in an exclusive oneness relationship, mutually serve one another, and multiply by producing offspring that loved God and righteously ruled over the world on God's behalf. Now, unfortunately, uh, each component of God's design for the family has been tainted and affected by sin. Uh, Often male and female don't leave their parents well to form a new union, a new marriage union. Um... Often, male and female remain too dependent on one or more parents to uh, provide for them. Often, uh, there are controlling parents who don't allow their their adult children to leave well and to form this and cleave in marriage, right? They try and control what they're always expressing their opinions on what their adult child and their marriage should be doing and um, they feel slighted if they're not consulted about major decisions and you have that sort of thing happen that you know works against the the leaving in the cleaving and then many marriages fail because from the beginning uh, the the individuals that make up the marriage never intended to cleave right instead they have chosen to be loosely connected and they're consi- they, they have divorce in their back pocket that if at any point they feel like they're giving more than they're getting, they'll just get a divorce. And so when difficulty comes and affects their marriage, because that happens for every marriage, um, you know, the first time that happens or the second or third, whatever it may be, they jump ship, right? They, they go and try and find somebody else. 
many marriages uh, don't thrive because the individuals in the relationship never truly in practice become one flesh. I mean, in the eyes of God, they're one flesh, but practically speaking, they don't operate that way. They have they're divided in terms of their values and their priorities and their dreams and goals. And we know that a divided house can only wobble for so long. The world is full of failed marriages that are multiplying, not godliness, but ungodliness, brokenness, sadness, uh, dysfunction. And if you were to um, look at the way many American parents spend their time and money, it appears as if their focus is, at least what their time and their money is saying, how they use it, is to create amazing athletes or amazing students or amazing dancers or amazing piano players. Um, that's not the, uh, discipling their children so that they become fully devoted followers of Jesus. Is they're not, that's not a focus for them. And then, you know, the, the, the sad reality is that many families in our churches are operating, uh, um, in a way that's not in accordance with how God designed family and are just as broken and dysfunctional as the families in the world. And, as a result, we really shouldn't be surprised why a lot of people don't take Christianity seriously. I mean, after all, if it's producing the same ills that our world is just full of, why would they take it seriously? So may that not be true of us at Abundant Life Christian Fellowship. And may we be people that uh, operate in our families the way that God designed them to function. And may we be a light of God's uh, intent for the family to the rest of the watching world. Now, as, as, as important as family is in producing disciples of Jesus, um, it's not enough. People need the, the, the challenge and the support of a spiritual family. And that leads us to the second big idea for this morning is that we were made for the church. The Apostle Paul described the church as Christ's body and stated in Ephesians 1.23 that the church is the fullness of him, referring to Jesus, who fills all in all. The church is the fullness of Jesus who fills all in all. In other words, Jesus is present in the church by the Holy Spirit. He is fully present there. And the church being the body of Christ executes the mind of Christ. Therefore, the church is currently the, primarily, the primary vehicle by which God is working and acting in the world and the primary vehicle by which he is growing his people. That's why Paul, he goes on to mention that um, the Holy Spirit that comes to live inside and, and dwell in a person who places their trust in Jesus as Lord and Savior, that Holy Spirit gives each individual member of the church a gift, one or more gifts. And for them to be used, as uh, you know, Paul puts it in 1 Corinthians 12, 7, so that each member profits is his word that he uses. And then he says something similar in Ephesians 4, 13. Um, he makes this grand statement about the role of spiritual gifts in the church. Check this out. We all come 
to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God. That's the purpose of spiritual gifts. To a perfect man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, that we should no longer be children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the trickery of men and the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting. But speaking the truth in love may grow up in all things into him who is the head, Christ, from whom the whole body joined and knit together by what every joint supplies, according to the effective working by which every part does its share, causes growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love. What Paul is talking about, that Christ, the fullness of him, dwells in the church, and we're each given as members of his body gifts for the building up of the rest of the body. This teaches us four important truths about why we need the church. First, we need the church to experience the fullness of God's transforming power. Um, my life group, um, a little while back, we went through a, uh, the st- a study on the book of Ephesians. We used the Right Now Media study by Pastor J.D. Greer to help us along. And um, when he, he stated that when people come and ask him how involved they should be in the church, His response is always to the extent that you want to experience God's power in your life. That's how involved you should be in the church, whatever, you know, to the extent you want to experience God's power in your life. And Greer, he he goes on in the study to mention a bunch of things that we therefore find in the church. He, He made statements like, if you want to experience the compassion of Christ, guess what? You're going to find it in the church. If you want to experience the healing of Christ, you're going to find it in the church. If you want to experience the teachings of Christ, you're going to find it in the church. If you want to experience intimacy with Christ, you're going to find it in the church. If you want to experience the encouragement of Christ, you're going to find it in the church. We need the church to experience the fullness of God's transforming power. Secondly, we need the church to exercise our spiritual gifts. As we exercise our spiritual gifts, God uses that to grow us, but also to grow other people. And thirdly, and this is related to the, to the second reason why we need the church, we need the church um, so that others can benefit from our spiritual gifts. And then fourthly, we need the church so that our view of God is expanded. Uh, for example, if somebody has the spiritual gift of shepherding and um, I'm on the receiving end of their shepherding, my view of the compassion of Christ is probably going to be enlarged. Same thing if I'm on the receiving end of somebody that has a spiritual gift of administration, somebody like, you know, Haley uh, Jerkovich, that's our church operations leader. Um, we're going to have an enlarged view of the administrative abilities of God, right? We're going to see that aspect of him. Of him. If um, I'm on the receiving end of somebody that has the spiritual gift of giving, guess what? My view of God's generosity is going to expand as well. If, if I'm on the receiving end of somebody that has the spiritual gift of prayer, guess what? I'm probably going to have a better view of how the Holy Spirit intercedes for me even when I can't even string two words together and all I've got is groans and moans. And so we need the church. Um, And uh, 
to the extent, I echo what, what Pastor Greer said, to the extent that you want to experience God's transforming power is the extent that you need to be involved and engaged in a local congregation. So there you have it. We were made for family. We were made for the church. If we are not functioning in, in, in those things, in those two things, the way that God designed it, you know, we're, we're going to feel off. Things aren't going to be right. We're not going to feel right because we were made for those things. I really encourage you um, to go to our website and find the sermon on our website. And there you will also find an outline for the sermon, but also discussion questions that will really help you take what you've heard, wrestle with it more, uh, process it more, and then hopefully those questions will help you also to apply what you have learned. And so go and do that. Have, quite, uh, have discussion with your spouse, your family, life group leaders. Uh, take that discussion guide. Utilize those questions because I think you will have very fruitful discussion in your life group that will help us all grow up in Christ together. Thank you for listening and uh, we miss you. Hope to see you in person sometime here at the end of November, unfortunately, but you guys have a great day.